okay. That's cool. Sounds like I got you there, Paul. Can you hear me? <laughs> hear me now? Got yeah. you now. Okay. Um. So where are you, Josh? I'm so a little bit further back than you. Hi friends, I'm music journalist Mikey Carl. From Mushroom, this is 180 Grams. This season, the story of Run Home Slow, the second studio album by the Teskey Brothers. The band has a conflict resolution process in case things bubble up, and regardless of how well it's working, everyone participates. Liam explains. We try and do everything democratically between the four of us, but then we had Paul, who's kind of like a fifth member of the band, and if someone feels really passionately about um, a direction or a decision on one thing. We'll just chat about it, and then if that person feels so powerful about that one thing, then we'll agree to let them make the decision um, instead of just going on a vote system. It's becoming apparent the second album is not going to be Half Mile Harvest 2 in both theory and practicality. Things aren't so easy. Josh, Sam, Brendan, Liam, Paul and Soren are all overwhelmed by the process and increasingly misaligned on creative decisions. That Bird is one song where ideas diverge. Josh wrote it during some downtime in the US. Very simple little song that was very much kind of just finished in the way I thought of it. I kind of wrote that one uh, during some time off in America. And that was a, that was a song that um, uh, after a tour, you know, me and, me and Hannah, my partner Hannah, we took about a month off before going to like a Europe tour rather than coming home we stayed over there and we kind of we hired a van and just drove around Colorado and stuff and during that time I was doing a fair bit of just sitting around on the was sitting on the one night late night I was sort of sitting on the was sitting on the Colorado River in in Utah and sitting in this camper van and that that was one of those songs that just came very easily and really just a you know I thought a really simplistic beautiful song so that was something that um I'd never wanted to see it go too overproduced and too many just like flavors over the top with the group, you know, putting their two cents in on on particular songs. It was kind of like I always wanted that song to be really, uh, you know, just simple and, and real kind of, um, yeah, very, very basic and just be based around the lyrics there. And, and that song ended up getting a lot of just stuff butted over the top. And my job, I felt, was just to try to kind of, so, all right, you know, let's. What can we take out of this? You know, rather than rather than sort of, uh, you know, you know, just everyone had a you know a few different ideas to to add to it, and it was just felt so like a orchestral piece of things just pumped over it. No, for me, it was just battle of trying to sort of yeah pull things back a little bit and get it back to basics of the way. I, I I know almost back to that guitar and singing and just with with a little bit of rhythm behind it and that's you know that's all I felt it needed so it was a bit of you know in the nicest way possible I was trying to sort of and it's hard because people you know come up with some things that they want to put over the top of it and in the nicest way possible I'd have to sort of try to say you know I just I don't really like it <laughs> it doesn't need the garnish. You know. This episode it's mid December 2018 and the band are halfway through recording Run Home Slow. Sam's Warrandyte Studio. The tape recorder works after a bit of a rough start, but their producer Paul Butler is going home to the US in just over a week on Christmas Eve. Things around the studio keep chugging along. Make sure that's clear. <laughs> it's not like, oh, it's tuna time today. <laughs> don't, don't try and, don't try and make, make it up. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah. Yeah, he's not bad at what he does. He's a bit, bit tunery. Getting the tape machine going each morning, long days turning into even longer nights, keeping track of songs progress on the on the whiteboard, visitors stopping by. Josh lives on the block with his partner too. You know, we got a little cottage out the back, maybe 10, 15 metres away from where the studio is. So it was quite a disruptive kind of three weeks, you know, having everybody around all the time at our house. Quite a sort of tangle of a, you know, mess of a property. You know, there's all sorts of things growing up around the place. The wisteria's kind of gone wild. And it's, you know, it's, it's a very chaotic property basically so it's quite funny bringing all these you know bringing all these people from the music industry around into the into our little kind of dungeon to kind of <laughs> to show them around and show them where we're doing the record you know there's also though the metaphorical wall around the studio guarded by jeremy their manager and observed by the record labels they're all wanting to be as helpful as possible without hindering the process they just gave their their vote of confidence by stepping back and just saying send us through whatever you get done and we can't wait to hear it um, rather than being turning up to the session and, and trying to play around with levels at the desk like I've heard some label people have been known to do. Marushka at Ivy League is thinking that whatever comes out of the end of the year, they'll at least have something, going by the competence of their first record, Half Mile Harvest, that was completely produced and engineered by the band. Clever clogs. You know, there was definitely a filter added to how much we were privy to. I knew that there were some things that weren't really ideal. Like, obviously, Josh not being able to sing <laughs> is a pretty big problem. The extent at which I think the band were coping with, you know, trying to get through the hurdles. Jeremy was very diplomatic with his, feed- his feedback on that. <laughs> but, you know, I think... This was the first time the band were ever recording with a producer. Um, It was a whole new experience for them, a whole new timeline, having this really defined period of time where they had to try to achieve as much as possible. So I think, you know, my approach was always just to let them, just let them do their thing. Because ultimately having a record label person present, putting more pressure on them, I think would have been the worst thing we could have done. Recording an album is always arduous. Ivy League and all the other labels and booking agents now part of Team Teskey will eventually want to see something. The band know the second album could be make or break. It's something at the forefront of Liam's mind. You're either going to um, do well or you're going to be shelved by the record label um, and they're not going to put any more money into you. Um, and it's very hard to come back from that from what we've heard. And I think that pressure mounted and mounted because they knew this album had a lot of expectation on it. They were also, I guess, trying to remain supportive and and engage family members with their partners and their and their and their children. And and it was, I guess, the combination of all of these things, which which I've seen a lot in musicians, is that that it really does put put a strain on your on your mental health. You've got the added uncertainty of of Josh's voice, you know, needing to get right before the sessions finish. So there was just a lot of anxiety throughout. After pretty much losing a whole week, the recording process is crunched even further. Assistant manager Al Parkinson watches things ratchet up. Arrangements were really stressful because they didn't know what the horn parts were really going to sound like. They didn't know 
what the strings were going to be doing. They didn't know what the BVs were going to be doing. And there was tension about, you know, who was working hard enough or who wasn't or who was, you know, who was around or who wasn't around and getting certain takes and who was prepared enough and who wasn't prepared enough. There were other things going on in the band too, you know, like they had gigs that we were organising or, you know, I think that we were discussing, the band were discussing, they were going to release Right For Me or something like that and we had to organise that release. Talking about that sort of stuff while they're in the recording process, you know, I almost feel like recording process should be like shut down in terms of any other thing to discuss, you know. Promise you. And among it 12 or more hours a day is Soren, essential to the production and crucially outside any band disagreements. I think maybe best exemplified by Sam and Brendan, they're sort of opposites in a way. Um, And I think you could see musically as well as psychologically, everyone had a bit of a a slightly different uh, approach and vision for for how to go about a record, basically. You could sense that there needed to be a bit bit of mediation and so, you know, I, I do remember one one time Jeremy coming in and helping with that mediation alongside Paul. It's just a communication thing. Nothing, nothing life-threatening, but just all these little miscommunications that, that build up over time, um, I, I'm, I'm sure. And time as in 12 years, right? Like not, not just the Run Home Slow record. So they're like a family, right? The tension is just that they are people and they're they're trying to work together and make this awesome thing and they've been doing it for a while so there's all sorts of things that, that pop out of that dynamic hey this is liam goff when things get heated between us it's funny like there's there's never been no one's ever raised their voice no one's we've never come to fisticuffs it's you know people sort of start to jam up and you can see a bit of their emotion and stuff but it's like <laughs> to outsiders it might look like we're just having a you know uh an awkward conversation but you know there's a lot of emotion going around at that point Um, but I think Paul was really good at reading when things are about to bubble over and not diffuse them get us to talk about them and if we couldn't talk about them it's like okay well let's let's you know leave the studio for the day let's work around it and he would he would check in with each of us and sort of monitor how we were going. Brendan sees the power and the passion is going from positive to negative and causing things to splinter and snap. You know, the the process started to break down a bit. And that wasn't the process itself. I just think it was the relationships within the band personally started to kind of tensions started arising. You know, you've got four people with four different opinions who all think they're right. You know, like you have the success of the first album, which kind of boosts everyone's ego, mine included. Like I'm not um, excluding myself from that. In the midst of all this, it helps that Brendan and Paul connected on a few um, life experiences that we've both had in regards to being around mental health issues in other people. I mean, being a musician, a touring musician and being semi-successful and pretty successful and it's a really crazy job to have, you know, you fly around the world and then you get all of this attention and then you don't, and then you don't stay in one place for very long and then your your working hours are crazy when you have to like 
you know, work out what your next creative venture is going to be and then how you're going to perform it and your up and down income. Being a musician's not straightforward and someone like Brendan, he's such a deep thinker. I have a lot of respect for the dude. I, I, I really enjoyed working with him. It was, he was really great to like, we, you know, put our heads together a lot on the, I don't know, the overall picture. Like he, he's got the ability to pan, pan out and have a look at a bigger picture. And he's also got the ability to go down into the minute detail. Minute detail? Tiny, tiny, tiny detail. Yeah. Um, which I appreciate, you know, both aspects. I think he could probably go too far into the minute detail sometimes. So, you know, with extreme exhaustion and, like, just serial killer style, like, zoning into something to the point of complete neuroses, like, I couldn't function. I didn't talk to anyone else. I, like, my girlfriend at the time was just, I was unlivable with. And she just went, you know what, I'm just going to, I'm just going to leave you be for 30 days because she just couldn't be around me. I'd come home from the studio at 1, 2 in the morning and I would just get back to work. I'd pull out my notebook, I'd listen to mixes, I'd be writing notes, putting post-its on the wall, making charts of arrangements, um, listening to other music and, and going, why does this work? I, you know, I want to bring something, you know, like it was just completely consumed um, in this thing, which, you know, is kind of good, but looking back now, it's just like, it, it drove me crazy, like literally drove me crazy. And then as the process went on, he just kind of started doing his you know, his Zen magic and just started working with each person in different ways and catering to their strengths and weaknesses. Um, me and him had a very similar kind of uh, obsessive approach to performance and arrangement um, and trying to capture, just trying to do things differently, like not just, uh, you know, he, he went there with the attitude of, well, my job isn't to just re-record these demos exactly as they are. We sort of, you know, we've got to give them something different and a bit more life and push this band in a direction further than what they could achieve uh, on their own, which is the whole point we wanted to work with a producer, specifically Paul. But there was definitely some moments where I lost my cool, times in the studio where I was just really difficult, you know, and I can like, and completely my fault and full ownership and responsibility. Passion. Well, pa yeah, passion, but like misguided passion, like... um you know, exhaustion and just complete focus and like perfectionist attitude and being frustrated that other people, you know, I'm just like, it's not good. You know, like I've always got this, no, 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 it's not near enough as good enough. You know what I mean? I just will not accept that attitude and that would create a lot of friction. <laughs> Paul sent me home from the studio more than once because he was just like, dude, you were you just, you're ruining the vibe, which was hard to hear and it's hard to be sent away from your own project. But I also respected him enough to know that if he said that, you know, he's such a calm Zen dude. It's like, if he says that, I really have to look at myself. In a moment when he's just too much, Brendan's asked to leave the studio. In sporting terms, he's been told to hit the bench, but what it feels like at the time is that he's been ejected from the game. Josh sees Brendan wind up and unravel at the same time. It's, you know, he was just very stressed by it all. He, he takes on a lot of these stresses, you know, and um, 
it was it, he was hard to be around in the studio now because he was it was just it, Brendan was getting so angry about some of these things and a lot of these parts I'm talking about were the stuff that you know Brendan is one of these characters he likes to put a lot on things so he comes up with a lot of stuff to put over the top of these songs you know so I think he was taking a lot of offense by you know by me saying I don't like some of this stuff or, or, or you know me and Sam saying you know dial it back a bit and um taking it to heart a bit and was was sort of very openly showing a lot of that anger and was sort of a lot of the time would just sort of sit around in the studio sort of not doing anything or helping anything just kind of being angry you know so that was some of the moments where I think where Paul sort of sent him home or uh, which I think was a great thing because it just seemed to be you know if you're not gonna be here and be uh you know basically just bringing in a negativity into the studio so during this time which is you know we all felt um, angry at him about it at that time, but I also had to sort of remember that he's having a really later on. I kind of realised, you know, he was actually going through a really hard time, was really overloaded with stress. So not to hold that against him, you know, it was just him having a really bit of a breakdown around this, around the stresses of this album. Okay, let me think. Sending Brennan home. Yeah. Oh well. Yeah. He, he'd just get a little. Uh, he'd get a little. Um, you know passionate about some of the musical decisions that's all some and this happens a lot i find with artists it's just that sometimes you have to go shut up and go for a walk go and go, go and have a drink go go home go and have a sleep please go and do anything but be here right now because this is useless um and uh i think that happened once or twice i think during that really intense period which really isn't too bad Around the time of pre-production, I was, um, you know, I was beginning to like, so I've always had like a, a sort of propensity towards depressive sort of, you know, um, feelings and behavior. Um, I've always had that my whole life, but I've always been able to kind of manage it to the point where it's like, okay, I know it's coming and the storm will pass and you have your rough periods, you get through it, whatever. And you, and you, you know, and you put the guise of funny man on, which I'm sure you relate to. <laughs> you know, you make the jokes, you be the funny guy um, as a as a facade to just get by socially in um, social situations. Because I'm actually very, I don't want to say antisocial, but very socially anxious person. I avoid most uh, things. Mm -hmm. And like gigging, like doing gigs for me is actually quite a challenge. Like being on stage is fine, but meeting people after it's like, it's really tough. It takes its toll. Um, so around August 2018, when we we're doing pre-production and all of that stress was beginning to pile on my shoulders, it was, you know, here's this guy that has these sort of depressive tendencies mixed with this ultimate pressure of like five things he's trying to manage. And then I just started to, I just got really bad. I got into a really bad black hole of depression and began to disassociate from situations. Um, and where it was at, it, the pinnacle of it for me was, um, so all through the recording of the album, I was really bad, but I just was like, just got to get through this. So, you know, I didn't talk about it to anyone, didn't tell anyone, but like I was coming home and just like couldn't sleep or was just like crying or like just punching the wall. Like I just, it was like, had these emotions and just did not know how to process them and was just completely so innovated to the point where I was like wanting to do stupid things. Um, you know, just like when your mind gets in that track of like, just 
not worth it. Fuck it. I want to quit. I'm going to, you know, like the things that went through my head were just like shocking. But at the time felt so reasonable, you know. With only one week to go, Soren puts the practicalities in perspective. We had a lot to get done in the last week, I remember, you know, there was still heaps. You know, originally we were going to be recording horns and strings and everything in those three weeks. And we quickly, well not so quickly, realised that that was maybe a little bit too ambitious and, and maybe, maybe, you know, we'd just focus in on the main parts, the guitars, the drums, the vocals, the parts that the band, the bass, you know, the parts of the band uh, could actually record there and then i'd say there'd probably be some people that were freaking out it didn't look good jeremy's right extra arrangements aside the band has one more crucial instrument to focus on recording before paul goes back to california and it was ended up being sort of final week before josh could really hit the notes he needed to hit um so that was a bit of a cloud hanging over the sessions since the start of recording, Josh is only speaking every second day to get his voice back from the nasty cold. Look, as a fan listening to this, you know Josh's voice is perhaps the most integral element to the Teskey Brothers sound. It's what makes them a singular band. Liam refocuses, along with the others, to get as much done in the time left. And getting two and a half weeks in, we're kind of like, shit, we haven't really got enough done. Okay, we're not going to have time to do strings. Paul's going to have to take the tapes back and do strings um, back home. Uh, same with horns. We did. We got, I think, half a session in with horns, but we couldn't do it. So we just really had to muscle down and try and get through everything with the five of us. Yeah, there was moments where Paul um, and I would look at each other or, you know, we'd just be like, are we going to get this over the line? You know, it's, it's really hard to when you're in the moment and it's clouded by all of this emotion and tiredness and, you know, there's a, a strange energy, you know, uh, tensions are growing between people in the band, people haven't slept and, you know, we're running out of time. So it's kind of like, well, you know, are we going to get to work on some of these things that I want to work on or that other people want to work on? Have we put enough time into this? You know, has that idea been um, left behind because we didn't have enough time? Things like that. This is cool. Liam wrote and demoed a song, Sun Come Ease Me In, largely left out of recording up until now. It's on the whiteboard, but as work has been scaled back, Paul assumes it's out too. That one, I didn't. I didn't think that was up for for working on. I thought that hadn't been that had been sort of ejected from the list. And then he showed this little bit of excitement, which I think Sam and I were kind of like, "Oh, okay." So Sam, Paul, and I sort of just were like, "Let's let's give stuff a go." Sam was very keen to just try and do some fully live stuff and just see what came of it, and we might be able to chop and put things together. And there's lots of experimentation with tempo fluctuations and things, which I'm all for. But in a recording sense, if you're thinking about chopping things together, if you've got a lot of tempo changes, you're kind of narrowing the window of what you can do chopping things together because you've got all these fluctuating tempos. You, If, you know, Sam wanted the outro, I think, to... Um, raising tempo here and like be raising tempo and then if we're going to try and cut that down well you can't cut sections out because all of a sudden you've got these steps in tempo which are not going to feel natural it's not going to have any continuity so there's all this stuff going through my mind trying to like be like oh feeling like we should be rigid but going no 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 let's just try and get freaky on this and do a bit of a sergeant peppers um sort of thing and, you know, Sam loves to say, hey, can you just get Mitch Mitchell on this thing? Which Mitch Mitchell is, you know, Jimi Hendrix experienced drummer. 
who's, you know, pretty, uh, he's kind of the godfather of, of doing that psychedelic sort of extremely fast single stroke rolls and just, you know, he's, he's got a lot under the hood that he can play with. He's me into the morning time when the daylight begins. Sun, come ease me in. Mama hold me round to where the daylight sings. Sun. Hammond organ player Olaf Scott, who's played with the band for a few years, you might have seen him playing live. Anyway, he finds himself cooking in the cauldron. It's, you know, one o'clock in the morning. Paul, the producer, is sitting there. I'm playing the roads. He's like on the floor fiddling with two guitar pedals that we're running the roads through. There's like a delay, maybe a wire or something, trying to make some weird, you know, crazy sounds as you do when you've been up (laughs) you've been recording for 12 or 14 hours at this point you're getting a bit nuts you know going through that and then I think we finally got to a point like oh that that sounded like a pretty good take and Soren the assistant who was um helped me out with recording yeah, I couldn't believe this, but uh, I didn't. I didn't get that one. <laughs> so I can't remember what happened, but something went wrong. But then again, and he couldn't record it. It's the only time I saw Paul get a bit pissed off. <laughs> it was not happy about it. Was, yeah, cracking. It's all right about that. But anyway, we managed to get through all those drum shows. I think it, it sort of divides musicians. I, I gotta say, I don't think I'm a huge fan of that, but a lot of people really enjoy that cabin fever, funny feeling you get when you're trapped inside with people for just doing the same thing over and over again, which just drives me insane. I don't know what to do with other people. are like, yeah, this is great. We're just getting into it now. We're just going to start to get a little bit nuts. And so I guess it's it's often those places where maybe those weird ideas that kind of come out of nowhere. In hindsight, I really, from my part, I really wish that we hadn't have done so much, uh, so many live shows in the months leading up to that. Band manager Jeremy Furs wants to level with us. To do that consistently over three, three and a half weeks um, in that environment with that with that much sleep it was a real mental challenge. It was a mountain to climb for all of them, and I. And I and I am in complete awe of ultimately what they achieved in that in that time. There were definitely some very very shaky moments where where it just felt like this was going to be all too much to to go, and they just wanted to tap out and say, "Look, this is it's just too hard. I cannot keep working at this pace with with this amount of energy left in my tank. I'm done." The last few days are fast and furious. You know, we used every hour of every day, of every waking hour, just to get as much as we could done. Remember, none of the tracks are files on a computer. It's all two-inch tape that Soren has to work on with the others. In the, in the last few days of, of the recording process, Sam, Paul and I were rapidly trying to cut together the master tapes for the record. And, and what that means is we were cutting, we were doing slices on each of the tape reels we'd use to record the song separately and trying to cut it out and put it all onto a a separate one which had all of the songs sam was getting out the razor blade and trying to make these cuts and and piece it all together once you put it put on this the master reel it's like you've got all of the songs and it's all together and it feels really special and sort of a very exciting time and at the end of all of that we very uh tentatively took them both off and and gave it to Paul and was like, hey, don't lose these, you know, (laughs) put it in your suitcase, lock it up, keep it safe, keep it secret, keep it safe. (laughs) And and just like 
yeah, you know, hoping for the best. It feels fitting those master takes become something out of a James Bond espionage scene. Drama. It's the last session in the Warrandite studio. Regardless of what they've got, they've made it to the end. All still committed to the record. Brennan's there where the others, hugs are going round. Yep, really good. You know, everyone's like, yep, see you later. And everyone was going out to the city to out for drinks because Paul was flying the next morning. So he was like, ah, I'm just going to stay out. Like, what's the point, you know? May as well see the city while I'm here. Because he, he, he flew into Warrandite. And he didn't leave Warrandyte until he left. He didn't. He did not see any part of Melbourne or Australia apart from probably a two-kilometer radius of the studio. Like that's how hard he worked. So the last night, like, let's go out for drinks, and I was like, no, nah. I just, I just couldn't do it. I just like literally was like, see you guys, thanks so much. Hugged Paul, came home, broke down, <laughs> and just didn't leave the house for days. At that point, it was sort of uh, it was it was a funny sort of send off for Paul because we just got to go. He hadn't left Warrandyte the entire time, so uh, me and Liam and uh, and Soren with um, you know and my partner Hannah all went out to to uh, High Street Northcote and uh, just went and had uh, went to the the Wesleyan, had a couple of beers, went across the road to Joe's Shoe Store, had a couple of cocktails, and he had a flight at like two a.m. or something. I think so. We just got him. So with a couple of uh, with a couple of uh, you know a couple of tapes, a couple of master reels in hand, uh, quite drunk, we sent him to the airport and uh, to have his Christmas with his family. You know, because this was like I think this is like you know the twenty third of December or something around now. After three weeks of intensity, it's time to complete Soren's. Let's not call it hazing. It's more Soren's graduation ceremony. Soren can't hold his liquor as well as some of us old uh, salty dogs here. So poor thing. We got him. We got him a bit drunk, and uh, <laughs> it, was a, it was a good old time. But it was a good way to wind down. Just at the end of this whole process, and some of the martinis, um, which I think he had never a dirty martini was a new drink to Siren at this point, and uh, I think they 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 surfaced on on the soils of Warrandyte before he went to bed that night. I think. And, uh, <laughs> Yeah, we, it was a really lovely night, um, and that's how I ended the record. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, we 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 did it, and then I missed my plane because the twit that was supposed to accept my green card, my temporary green card piece of paper that the Trump administration have generously administered to anyone who has not been in the country and hasn't lived in the country for a long time, was simply not accepted by the airline. It's like, you can't fly. I'm like, no, I can. It says it here on this piece of paper that the American government's given me. Yeah, I had a, I had a, I had a, I had a producer freak out moment at that point and just kind of stood there and shouted until someone came and helped me. And they did. This wonderful lady came in and was like, oh, I'm so sorry that this is happening. We'll work out how to get you home on Christmas Day. And she did. But the initial missing of a flight was like, okay, we've well, missed your flight. You'll have to buy a new one. And I think it was about $3,000 to fly back on Christmas Day by buying a flight. Paul flew home. He had the tapes wrapped in foil so they wouldn't get destroyed in the in the x-ray machine. So you do that to stop them from getting damaged by the the scanning process at the airport. He took the tapes home and there was still a lot left to do. We knew this and the band were exhausted and couldn't actually work out how they wanted to complete the album. 
I spoke to a few of the band members the next day and there was like, I I guess it was a bit scary, you know. They weren't sure where it was sitting. I think they expected it to be done, you know, but it wasn't. On the next episode, Liam, Sam, Josh and Brendan, a.k.a. our heroes, won't all be together until the new year. When they do, they'll have a crisis meeting. Kind of like full of silence, but everyone was yelling. I remember having a sinking feeling during the meeting, thinking like, how? Uh, So we just had to, you know, find a, a middle ground of how much more needed to happen. We'll get there. After all, teamwork makes the dream work. More information is always available in the episode notes. We acknowledge the traditional owners of the land where we have produced this show. We pay our respects to elders past, present and emerging, for they hold the memories and cultures of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples within the Kulin Nation. We wish to celebrate the rich history of Indigenous storytelling and hope to uphold this as testament to their eternal influence. 180 Grams is brought to you by The Mushroom Group and hosted by me, Mikey Carl. Executive producer is Matt Gadinsky of The Mushroom Group. Thanks, MG Jr. Thanks to the following people who worked on this episode. Courtney Carthy, Tom Canellan, Lucas Setiati, Laura McCulley, Dan Baker, Loz Grice, and the whole Mushroom Creative House. Ballers. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please leave a review in the app. Or tell a friend you haven't spoken to in a while. Um, look, you could even use it to reconnect with an estranged family member. Mm-hmm.